0: Thank you, Father, today for another opportunity, this side of eternity, to examine the Word of the Lord, hear its message, and apply it to our heart. Touch us today, O Lord, for this season in your Word, and help us, God, to glean from its pages truth that will inspire, encourage, and lift, and instruct. We pray that prayer in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you welcome everybody that's watching by streaming uh, television today for Facebook? Amen. So glad to have all of you with us today. If you will please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to talk about some of the sayings of the Lord Jesus and some of His teaching and some of His discipleship principles. You know, He tells us that salvation is to be followed by a pursuit of discipleship. A following Christ. A disciple is none other than just a follower, a learner uh, of the Lord Jesus. And uh, the, the Lord was very specific in choosing disciples from a specific region. In fact, He chose fishermen. Praise the Lord. Uh, I preached a message one time about why He chose fishermen and uh, gives several traits about fishing that the Lord uh, likes about uh, people. And He called fishermen to be fishers of men. And so this ragtag group of disciples from Bethsaida and from uh, Capernaum and uh, Chorazin and Decapolis and all of the cities around the northern shore of the Galilee region, he chose them to be disciples and to do the work of ministry which he left to the church. And afterward, these 12 became apostles or people who had been with Jesus. There is a... Passage where he talks to them about the burden and the obstruction that comes upon uh, those who are works righteousness believers. Those who believe that you can do enough good and you can be well enough and do enough things for people, charitable things, that you can earn your way into God's favor. But uh, we who know the Bible better know that grace is God's provision And it's not about works righteousness nor law keeping, but it's about the gracious act of achieving salvation for us that Jesus wrought on Calvary's cross. And that's the power of our relationship with the Lord Jesus. And could I tell you that's the most important thing in life, is a relationship with the Lord Jesus. That's the one thing that's going to determine eternity for every one of us, is relationship. You remember what he said to the people that, did not make it in the judgment. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. Uh, It's important that the Lord knows you. It's more important that you know the Lord. It's more important that we really celebrate the fact that Jesus is a servant who did something of a servant's nature for every one of us. He did something for us that no other power can do. And he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, All things are delivered unto me of my Father. All things. Can anybody say all things? That means totality. That means completeness. That everything has been given to Jesus by the Creator God. That he is given to the Lord Jesus. He 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 said, my Father. And he said, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. So then we learn from that verse that Jesus is the revelation of the Father. That Jesus and the Father, he said, I and the Father are one. And he says that the Spirit also is mentioned in that that trinity of persons. And he said, everything that the Father is, is revealed in me. They all share the same attributes. They all share the same kind of uh, personal, personality traits. And Jesus is the express image of God. Hallelujah. So he says nothing comes to you except it comes through the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. In other words, he is the conduit through which God's grace flows. He is the vehicle of God's grace and God's loving kindness and God's mercy to every one of us. So he can say that no man knoweth the Father except by the revelation of the Son of God. Can you say amen to that? And then he issues a wonderful invitation. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. That invitation is given to everybody who is hungry because he is the bread of life. That invitation is given to all who are thirsty because he is the water of God's glorious life-giving power. That invitation is given to every person of Adam's race because his dying for us at the cross was so universal and it was so complete that every soul of Adam's race was represented on the cross of Calvary by the person of the Lord Jesus. And he gave himself a sacrificial offering for the sins of the whole world. This man hath once given himself for the sins of every person. Everyone in this building, everyone outside this building, everyone under the canopy of God's skies is a person for whom Jesus died. Every person you meet on the street has an everlasting soul for whom Jesus died at Calvary's cross. And the invitation is to whomsoever will, let him come unto the Lord Jesus and receive rest. All they that labor, labor. Romans 6 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, what is he talking about? Rest here. Rest is not necessarily sleeping. No. In fact, God neither slumbers nor sleeps. Yet He rested on the seventh day. So rest is not necessarily uh, asleep or unconscious in some way or not aware. That's not really what He's talking about. The Bible said, for all the righteous people of God, in Hebrews 4 and 4, there remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. That for every one of us, and if you'll run that, that uh, word in its original Greek meaning, it literally says refreshment. There remaineth, therefore, a refreshment for the people of God. In other words, that burden of laboring so brings you to a place that you're exhausted and you need refreshment, you need renewal, you need revival, You need something to happen to recharge your batteries. You need something to come into your life and you need to come into contact with something that calms the trouble, that speaks peace to the trouble, that gives you a refreshment, a time when you rejuvenate, as it were. You mean God is interested in refreshing us? I wish he'd refresh some of us here this morning. You think there are people here that need refreshment, Brother Jerry? Sure. See it on your face. See it in your posture. See it in the way you respond to what's going on up here on this stage. And you see, if you're not very careful, you'll you'll get to a point that you'll feel like I've got to do something or I've got to exert some certain amount of energy or I've got to perform some task. We were raised that way. I was told when I was a young child, if you ever have anything in this life, you got to work for it. Where do you get that, God? Boy, there was a time when you didn't have to work for it. There was a time when you just had to walk out and pull it off the tree or get it off the vine because God just had this garden and He said, uh, tend to the garden, just uh, eat of all the fruit that is here except one. And said, don't fool with that one. Then they you eat that fruit, you will die. And the serpent slithered his way and slimed his way into that garden and said to Adam and Eve, "Ye shall not surely die. Don't believe the word of God. Don't believe what God says about that, that fruit. Don't believe what God says about that tree. And he's still propagating that lie today. He's still telling people don't pay any attention to what God says. Don't pay any attention to his word. Don't listen to his preachers. Don't listen to his prophets. He's still propagating that same lie that don't pay any attention to God because it's not true what they're saying to you. But that item that we're taught all to work hard, I remember when I was sacking groceries at Piggly Wiggly as a 15-year-old, and I wanted a car. I desired a car. And my dad told me, he said, save up, $250 to pay down on a car and then we'll talk to you about a car. Work and we'll get to the place that you can have the things you desire. You can have them, but you got to work to get them. That's what this life is all about, right? If you got a house, you got to make payments on that thing, haven't you? You want a car? You make payments on that thing. Amen. You work, So you can get some payment money so you can get what you want. But you'll never get what you want if you don't work to get what you want. When man sinned, God said you got to leave the garden and everything changes. Now then, you've got to earn your bread and you've got to earn your meat by the sweat of your brow. you got to work for it. So then we get this idea that you get what you want If you work hard, you can be, go up the ladder, you can get prosperous, you can have, if you work hard to get it. And so that just was a thing that was so real in everybody's life. And when the law came along, and the Decalogue, and Moses on Mount Sinai, he came down and he said, this is what God says. Don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't bear false witness. Honor your father. Gave him the ten, what we call the Decalogue. So then, for many, many years, it was all about doing what it said do and don't do what it says don't do. And there were people called Pharisees, and there were people called Sadducees, and there were there were laws, there were ceremonial laws. I told you that when we were in Israel, there was a uh, looked like a, a ring that went all around the city, and I asked uh, one of the rabbis, I said, "What is that?" Is that some kind of communication wire there? I said, no, that's the Shabbat line. I said, the Shabbat line? He said, yes, that's how far you can walk in a day without it being work. You can walk as far as that line, but when you get to that line, uh, it has become work now, and you better sit down and stop. We stayed in a real, real nice hotel there, uh, Five-star, I think it was. Renaissance, I believe it was. Yeah. But on Shabbat, on Saturday, there's four elevators that ran up and down all the time, but on Saturday, only one ran. And it didn't run at regular speed. It was slowed down. Needless to say, the lobby was full of people wanting to get on an elevator. And no, I didn't take the stairs. They were so strict and so rigid about, don't eat these kind of foods. Don't do this. Don't eat that. You can't have this kind of, don't laugh and have this. You got to, on Friday, you got to do this. On this day, you got to do that. And it was all about ceremonial ritualism until it became work. It became works righteousness. And you were determined, a good person that's going to heaven, if you kept all the law and you kept all the works. But Paul said later it was not possible that we could do that. That was a burden that we all had to bear. Now then, Jesus is now, let's let's contextualize where Jesus is. He is in Chorazin, he's in Capernaum, and he's pronouncing doom and judgment upon these cities because they won't believe. They won't believe. Now, you might say there was a pandemic that was going on, but it wasn't coronavirus. It was a pandemic of sin. It was a disease of of sin. And it affected and has affected every person that's ever been born except one. And that's Jesus. Jesus has never been infected by the disease of sin. The Bible said he knew no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin. He became the representative of sin, and our sin was nailed to His cross. But He never, ever was infected by this virus called sin, but we all were. And all the people to whom Jesus preached and met, they all were. And they were all laboring under that terrible, uh, terrible plight of law-keeping and works-righteousness that you were always watched. And the Pharisees that started out as a very good group that were very devout and very faithful, but they got to the point that they over-responded and overreacted and started implementing laws of their own. And the Pharisees became so judgmental until we've coined the phrase about people that are always casting a dispersion on someone as being Pharisees. Or pharisaical amen and Jesus is looking at these cities where he's gone about he's healed their sick he's raised their dead he's opened their blinded eyes his unstopped deaf ears but still they don't believe that he is the Messiah they don't believe that he is God's son somebody might so well, pastor if I saw all of that I believe I'd, I'd believe what he said well Maybe you do, but let me ask you this. If some grade school teacher, any grade school teachers in here? Kim's not here today. Well, I can say what I want to and they won't get offended, huh? Some grade school teacher comes in here and says, Pastor, Pastor, I have got a cure for COVID 19. And I said, What? Yeah, it's animal crackers. Well, I see right now y'all didn't jump up to run to the grocery store to get any animal crackers. Why is that? Because you just can't, didn't feel like that a grade elementary teacher would know something that scientists have been working on for months and months trying to come up with a, a vaccine. And she walks in here with something so simple as animal crackers. Well, then put yourself in the shoes of these people that are listening to this rabbi as he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and there's no way to get to God except by me. I've got the answer to eternal life. Trust in me. If you believe in me, you will never die. If you believe in me, you will be like a tree that's planted by the river water. If you believe in me, you'll be an overcomer. If you believe in me, you'll be a child of God. If you believe in me, you'll be a new creature in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, oh yeah, carpenter's son, Nazareth. Yeah, does anything good ever come out of Nazareth? And so Jesus then looked at them and he said, Woe be unto you, Chorazin! And woe be unto you, Capernaum! Woe be unto you, Decapolis! It will be more tolerable for you than it was for Sodom. Wow. We all know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, don't we? The fire came down and destroyed them all. And Jesus said, They will be better off than you, Tyre and Sidon and Chorazin, all you little cities around where I've gone preaching and done these mighty works, and yet you still think I'm just the carpenter's son, that I could never uh, be the Christ, I could never be the Messiah, I could never be the one that I'm telling you? Well, you wouldn't believe the little lady about the crackers, so don't be too hard on them. And so then Jesus says this statement that I just read to you. Come unto me, all of you who are laboring under the burden and the weight of law-keeping, all of you that are so tired and so weary, so mind-weary and so weary of all of these ordinances and these 365 laws and these tassels on a prayer shawl and the factory on your forehead and the leather about your arm, all of those things, come to me for the simplicity of the gospel of the grace of God. Come to me and I will give you refreshment. You're weary with it all? Come to me and let me refresh you. You're tired of it all? You're weary with all the weight and the burden of law keeping? Come to me and let me refresh you. Let me refresh you. Well, what a blessing that is. You see, the Bible said, whatsoever things we desire, when we pray, believe, and you will have them. Jesus gives us an alternative to our work-yourself-to-death attitude. He says, whatever you desire, whatever you want God to do for you, just believe. Have faith and believe that God will do it for you, and and He will do it for you. Tennessee Williams wrote a Broadway play called A Streetcar Named Desire. It's about a a lady named Blanche DuBois. She must have been a Cajun. Blanche DuBois. And she says, everywhere I go, there is a streetcar named Desire that carries me to everywhere I go. And she said, and eventually that streetcar named Desire will carry me to the cemetery. Wow. Wow. What a what a terrible story to tell. That desire, what she's saying is desire has carried me everywhere I've been my whole life. What I desired and what I wanted has been the vehicle that carried me through. I wanted a husband. I wanted family. I wanted a home. I wanted life. I wanted all the things that I've got in my life are there because a streetcar named Desire carried me to that destination. In other words, we are what we want. We are who we are because we wanted what we wanted. And we made decisions that we decided, and we made choices that we chose. And we are where we are because some kind of desire carried us to that place. Whatever thing you desire. But Jesus says if you desire God, which is the desire of all nations, and which is the innate element that is built into every one of us, is to know and to have fellowship with God then Jesus says, that's through me. It's not through Moses' list of commandments. It's not through all the uh, the, the, the restrictions and the rituals and ceremonies of the law. It's through me. It's through the person of the Lord Jesus. And he says, come to me. All of you that are weary, I'll give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. Well, that sounds like just taking one burden for another burden. That means that you're just swapping out one burden for another burden. A yoke, he said, no, no, no. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, burdens sometimes can be misleading. I was watching History Channel, I believe it was, and they were talking about paratroopers and about how the weight that carried it, how many pounds at the Normandy invasion, how, how heavy the weight was upon them, some of them 50 pounds, and many of them drowned because they couldn't swim with the weight that they had. The paratroopers that jump out of the plane, I imagine if you ask a paratrooper, is that parachute a burden for you to carry? I believe he would have told you, no, no, no. I, I'm going to take the parachute. Yeah, but it's loading you down. You're having to carry it. Yeah, but I'm going to need it sometime uh, for too much longer. And when I get ready for it, I want it to be there. You probably looked at him as he was going to that plane and said, Man, what in the world are you doing that burden on your back? What are you doing with that, that load you carried? I'm going to need that sometime. I'm not going to get on that plane without this burden that I'm carrying. You see, sometimes a yoke is easy and sometimes a yoke is necessary. And Jesus is simply saying, if you'll take my yoke upon you, be yoked together with me, I'll pull most of the load anyway. I'll pull most of the load anyway. Your part won't be near as intense as mine. It will be near as burdensome or near as hard as mine if you'll just accept the yoke. Because somewhere down the road, friends and neighbors, saints of God, you're going to need that yoke. And you, some may see it's a burden and some may see it is a harsh But thanks be to God you've got something with you that when you need it It's going to be there and when time comes for you to appear in the presence of God There's going to be a wonderful parachute that's going to open up for you My yoke is easy and my burden is light serving the Lord Paul said, I glory in my infirmities. All of my trials, all of my difficulties, all of my hardships. He said, I thank God for every one of them. And he said, happy am I to suffer for his name. What a statement. He didn't despise the yoke. He actually called the yoke a chain. And he said, I thank God for people that loved me and surrounded me because they understood my chain. They understood my burden. They understood the yoke that I was under with the Lord and sharing the ministry. Yes, it was difficult. Thrice they beat my back with rods. Five times I received 40 stripes save one. I've been in peril of the sea. I've been stoned and left for dead. Fasting's off, naked and in peril. But he said, but in all of those things, I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm happy to wear this yoke. I'm happy to pull this this yoke. I'm happy to bear this chain. I'm happy to do what I do in the ministry because God has done something for me and for everybody else that one day I'm going to stand in his presence. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day, but not to me only, but to all of them also that love his appearing and kingdom. Well, give God some praise in this house. In the very first commandment, God says that we're to love Him. We're to serve Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. All of our strength. How can we find rest in Jesus when He says, take up the yoke? Jesus made a great statement when He said, I did not come into the world to be served, but I came to serve. I did not come to be ministered to. I came to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. The attitude of the Lord Jesus is one of meekness. He said, I am meek and I am lowly. In other words, he said, "I'm, I'm not that arrogant God that these Pharisees are telling you that God is like, that God is vengeful and he's angry and he's mad at you. And he's wanting to get even with you. And he wants to punish you. And he wants to line you up. He wants to strip you down. He wants to embarrass you. Jesus is saying, no, that's not what God is. He said, take my yoke upon you, for I am meek and lowly at heart. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the 17th verse says, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus came to save sinners. Paul said this is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus said, I come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus told the disciples, he said, my spirit is very heavy because mine hour has come. And they said, what hour are you talking about? What do you mean? He said, for the Son of Man must be delivered up to sinners. And they will beat, and they will pluck out his beard, and the plowers will plow upon his back. And he said, and they will take the life. Wow. Buddy, when Peter heard that statement, When Peter heard Jesus talk about what he had to go to Jerusalem to do, they were trying to talk him out of going to Jerusalem. said, don't you know they'll kill you when you go to Jerusalem? And Jesus said, for this purpose came I into the world. And the Bible said, and Peter grabbed him and took him aside and started rebuking him. And Jesus made the strongest statement he's ever made to any human being. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. What was he saying? He wasn't saying that Peter was Satan. He was saying that kind of thinking is satanic. He said, because if I don't go to the cross, if I don't go and give my life, if I don't go to Pilate's judgment hall, if I don't endure the suffering, if I don't go through that, then there's no salvation and there's no redemption and there's no pardon and there's no grace and there's no church and there's no people getting saved and there's no ministry. There's nothing if I don't do this. Wow. And the Bible said, and Jesus set his face like a flint. He came into this world to save sinners. Can you imagine a a billionaire that had servants, and instead of eating the meal the chef cooks, he goes down and cooks the meal for the chef. Instead of demanding the car be brought around, he goes out, and washes the car for the chauffeur. In other words, he does the work for you because his goal is not to lord over you, but his goal is to refresh you and to give you rest. His goal is to release you from the bondage of the law. His goal is to release you from the uh, 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 obligatory things that the law demands and talk to you about the simplicities. He wants you to understand that the salvation is so simple as trusting Jesus. Trusting Jesus. So many times we complicate. We complicate salvation. But the fact is that Jesus came to save sinners Likewise, when we take on that yoke, we're simply learning how Jesus served us. You could say that Jesus is as much of a burden as a working parachute is a burden to the skydiver. But our text assures us that Jesus has taken away the worst burden, and that's the burden of sin. It's a misstatement to say that once you get saved, nothing bad will ever happen to you again. That's not right. But what he's saying is that I will be you, with you through every bit of it. That whatever you go through, I will go through it with you. And that the ultimate prize is that you go to be with him forever. That's the ultimate thing. Final rest comes to people that get to the end of their journey. When they get to the end of their journey, the Bible said, there, speaking of heaven, the weary be at rest and the laborers cease from their labors. Thanks be to God. I'm looking forward to that time, aren't you? Stand with me, please. I read the story of a father who at the beginning of a backpacking trip put his son's sleeping bag on his back So the boy's pack would be more manageable than his. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what Jesus did for you. That dad put that weight of the backpacking trip, the sleeping bag and all the things they would need for camp, he put that back on his back. And then midway through the hike, when he sees his son still struggling with the weight of the pack, he'll take out the boy's rain jacket. And he'll take out his sandals to lighten the load even more. Why does the father do that? Because he wants the boy to make it to the campsite with him and not give up along the way. God wants you to make it and not give up. God wants you to see the end and not give up. God wants you to run the race, finish the course, and not give up. God wants you to be a winner, not a loser. God is committed to getting you to the finish line. God is committed. He said, that good work that I began in you, I'll not take my hand off of you until I complete that work that was begun in you. We used to sing a song years ago at Harvest. It was one of the great shouting songs. We all rejoice. When redeemed, I shall stand. Over in the promised land with the mighty blood washed throne we will sing redemption song crying worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb when redeemed at his side I shall stand oh that's going to be the day that we all are working for and of all the desires that are in my heart Jesus said the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What he was saying, Randy, was of all the desires that are in my heart, there's one that is greater than all the others. There's one desire that's in my heart that takes precedence over every other one. And that is the business of the Lord's house. That's the business of standing in his presence. That's the business of knowing that I know for sure that all of my sin is under the blood of Jesus, that the cross has taken care of it all, that I'm justified in the sight of God, and I have relationship with Him. He is my Father, and I call Him Father God, and He calls me Son. That's the supreme desire. You can take this old world, its wealth and its riches. I don't need earth's fame. It's my desire to live for Him. Is that your desire this morning? Then this Labor Day weekend, while you've got time off from your regular jo- job in your, your workplace, why don't you just refresh yourself and come to Jesus and say to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I'm tired of wearing masks. Yes, Lord, I'm tired of sitting six feet away. Yes, Lord, I'm tired of people of God not being able to come to God's house and worship. Yes, God, I'm tired of all the restrictions and not being able to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. Yes, I'm tired, God, of my friends that are getting the virus. I, I'm so tired of this, God. And the Lord is saying for me to tell you, come to the Lord for refreshment. Come to the Lord for rest. Come to the Lord for encouragement. For you'll find in Jesus an unfailing source of joy, an unfailing source of peace, an unfailing source of spiritual strength. God cares. God loves you. God is with you. And God is strengthening you today. God, in Jesus' name, I lift my hand over this flock of God. You call them, take the oversight of the flock of God. Some are watching by Facebook, and some by the website. Thank you, God, for those people there sitting in those chairs watching their pastor this morning. I ask you to touch them, Lord, and refresh them and encourage them and strengthen them. Some of them need healing and wasn't able to come to your house today. God, I pray that right now healing would flow into their body, that you'd rebuke that pain and give them, O Lord, ease and comfort. Touch them, O Lord Jesus, and encourage their heart today. I pray for all of these that are standing here in your presence. These that are standing, God, honor you and love you and worship you. These that are standing in this house today, O Lord, are saying to you, God, you are my source and you are my peace and you are my shield. They love you, God, and I know that you love them and I ask you to encourage them as they go out these doors, Lord, to be salt and light in the world. May we speak peace and calmness and hope and assurance to people who are distraught. In the name of God, we dismiss now in your care. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.